Meteorologists go to school to be able to predict the weather accurately, but for some people, weather prediction is a hobby. Maybe they have a trick knee that hurts when it rains, or perhaps they know when a storm is coming by how the birds at their feeders are behaving. Some lucky folks, though, have pets that can help them figure out what the weather is going to do. And that's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Our guest today is Connor Jackson. Jackson is a research instructor in the Department of Biostatistics and Informatics at the Colorado School of Public Health. He serves as the chair of the Education Committee for the Center for Innovative Design and Analysis and teaches a six-week short course about statistics and data science to bench scientists. His research focuses on the analysis of correlated data, largely in the context of infectious diseases. He also authored an article in 2021 for significance about Pietro, the weather tortoise. The article led to Jackson winning the 2021 Statistical Excellence Award for Early Career Writing. Connor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. How does an infectious disease guy come to write about a weather-predicting tortoise? It's a great question. So it turned out that sort of in the middle of the pandemic, we were all at home. We were all on Zoom. Sort of an off-the-cuff comment from one of my coworkers just basically, oh, it's it snowed yesterday and my, my pet tortoise said that it would. And I, I was like, wait. Excuse me. Um, and it was it was funny, you know, I mean, I work at a center that's almost exclusively statisticians. And it it my first thought was like, oh, we have to look into this like we we have the tools like we we are all quantitatively minded people. So not that I was am the sort of cynical monster that is convinced that, oh, there's no way that's true. Like this would be super interesting. So that came up and. I actually had known about the uh, significance writing competition. My um, Mary, who is the one who told me about it, uh, who's the co-director of our our center, um, kind of had planted that seed. And then so sort of in the background, I was thinking about what to write about. And then this came up and I was like, this just seems so, so different, so novel. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not a tortoise expert. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I was I was just like, let's do it. Why not? That's so funny. I mean, obviously, like, you know, I think many of us have probably heard stories like that. But I can't like my brain just would not have been like, oh, yes, let's test that. So I think it's so interesting that that's exactly like you're like, okay, let's figure out if this is true or not. Or how true is it? Yeah, it's funny. I think that it might have been a function of the fact that I wasn't taking classes at the time. So maybe I was like actively looking for something to do. Um I, I worked sort of full-time while I was finishing my master's degree, and now I'm working full-time and working on my PhD. So I don't know. For whatever reason, maybe that extra spare time was enough for me to just stare at a tortoise security camera footage for <laughs> thousands of hours. So. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I have to ask, you know, as a, as a biostat guy embedded in this process, did you get informed consent from Pietro? <laughs> You know, it's a good point. We didn't we didn't put any disclaimers on that. Yeah, we didn't get the IRB involved. Yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, it's it's it was very invasive, right? We we had twenty four hour security camera footage on him. So, 
um, he was a good sport about it. It was it was fun. To, uh, so it turns out that my coworker actually has two tortoises. Um, so one of them, Pietro, they're in separate cages because otherwise I don't know how I would tell the difference. Pietro is excellent at predicting the weather and then the other one is basically might as well be a flip of a coin so so yeah it's 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 funny that um you know some of for whatever reason pietro has this innate ability so that that really begs the question so so take us through some of the thinking of how how do we look at a at pietro's you know kind of prognostication uh, uh, patterns in a systematic way i mean what what was the how did you frame it and how did you explore it yeah, I think I think for me where I started was what does accuracy mean, especially in the context of weather, right? Because um, you know it's what weather or how the weather might impact your day to day life. Obviously, um, is going to depend on different people. So I think in the article I sort of talk about like if I'm just going to work, I don't really care if it's raining. I'll just bring an umbrella. Um, and so I think that for me trying to contextualize and think about like when does weather prediction matter most to me and that was sort of where i got the idea of like oh i'm planning a barbecue so i think that was where i started and then from there we still don't know you know what is accuracy like what is what is a sufficient prediction for the weather and and obviously we could get into more detail we could think about snow versus rain and pietro himself is seems to be good at predicting precipitation. So here in Colorado, when we were looking at the weather, it was it was April, so it snowed and it rained and it didn't seem to matter to him which which it um, was. So that was interesting in, um, by itself. But yeah, I think that figuring out what accuracy meant was where we started. And so that was where I started kind of asking coworkers, like, you know, how how accurate do you feel like your weather person needs to be? And maybe it's just sort of like, I feel like the weather in Colorado is pretty unpredictable. And, and, and I think it's probably unpredictable in a lot of places. There's this sort of idea that, you know, like how, how accurate truly is the weather if it can change quickly in five minutes. I mean, especially growing up here, uh, we would get afternoon rainstorms in the summer constantly. And so, um, you know, I think trying to structure that and figure out a way to, um, come up with a testable question was very important. And so we sort of asked our coworkers, like, what's what's a reasonable accuracy, right? I mean, 50% is a flip of a coin, so you'd obviously want it to be better than that, but 100% seems kind of unreasonable. So I just pulled people, and it was funny to get a kind of a, I got a very wide range of, of people. It was like some people would, would expect that their weather person would be over 90% accurate as far as predicting precipitation which seems high to me especially in Colorado and then others were a bit more forgiving so maybe they were related to a meteorologist or something I'm not sure <laughs> so so yeah I mean once we sort of established like what what does accuracy mean in the context of this kind of question I think from there and I sort of mentioned this in the article as well it's like as statisticians oftentimes we have this desire to like overcomplicate things and because we're just interested in the statistics but Oftentimes, it's easier just to go with something simple that answers your question at hand. And Mary, my um, kind of writing partner, 
she she was like, well, maybe we could do this kind of machine learning problem. Maybe Pietro gets better with more information. And I was like, that would be very interesting, but maybe outside of the scope <laughs> of this kind of part-time project that I'm doing. So, so yeah, that was kind of where it started. And, and, you know, once we established what accuracy meant to us and once we kind of established what our testable hypothesis was, we, you know, we had a barometer, we had a hypothesis, and then from there, we just we started looking at the videos. So what were you watching for when you were trying to figure out if Pietro is predicting the weather? He's obviously not standing at a green screen pointing at, at cold systems coming right. through. Like, how do you know he's predicting precipitation versus a sunny day? Yeah, it's it's a good point, right? Because as working as like a consulting statistician, you kind of have this format that you follow when you meet an investigator, right? You kind of say like, well, so what are you trying? What are you trying to do here? Tell me about tell me about what your problem is. And so I kind of approached that with my coworker, who's who's not a statistician, right? I was like, you know, so so tell me a little bit about Pietro. And what she was saying was that when he thinks that it's going to rain, he hides under this sort of upturned red bull in his cage. And when he thinks that it's going to be really nice, he's out and about because you know the weather's going to be nice, even though he's indoors. It, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and then there's this sort of third option where he's um, like he's kind of out, but not necessarily so much as like kind of about in his cage. There's this log that he kind of hangs out on. And so from there, we were basically like, OK, so it seems like a simple way to go would be is he or is he not under the Red Bull? Does it or does it not rain? And so that was kind of where we started. And so. It just so happened that Melissa, my my coworker who who owns Pietro, um, her her parents had like the security camera footage or the security camera, and so she set it up, and it was just so fun. Like it like it would turn to black and white at nighttime, and um, you know we had to figure out logistically how to get like like tons and tons of hours of video transferred over to me, and um, and then from there, you know, I just started what, you know, day one, I just started watching and I pulled the weather data from, you know, close to where, where she lived. And that was the easy part. And then, and then for Pietro is actually sitting down and saying, okay, well, this is where he is. He's not in his Red Bull. The thing that I was worried about was like, well, you know, if he sort of skirts around the side, is it possible that I'll miss something? But what I learned very quickly is that tortoises don't, don't move very fast. So um, I was able to kind of get a sense of like, oh, okay, well, um, you know, he's sort of headed towards the Red Bull. I, I discovered very quickly that I could kind of speed it up on four times on the video and um, get through the videos a little bit faster. So the thousand hours of video is true, but there was a lot of fast forwarding involved. And, um, and also, I mean, that was the other thing too, is like sort of biologically, he, he wants to go under the Red Bull because he thinks it's going to rain. He wants to protect himself. And so if it snows for an extended period of time, he'll just stay under there. So it was easy enough for me to kind of like skip ahead and say like, okay, well, nothing has changed. So yeah, it's not, not as quite as daunting as perhaps it sounds, but um, it was definitely interesting to kind of get a sense of what, of what his behaviors were like. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with Connor Jackson of the Colorado School of Public Health about Pietro the Weather Tortoise. So I'm still trying to picture the comment that Rosemary made of uh, thinking about this tortoise in front of a green screen doing the weather. <laughs> I'm thinking that's going to be a really slow segment on the news. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so you're going through, you know, 
250 hours at speed, yeah. you know, or the mm-hmm. thousand hours plus. So, and, and, you know, I, I, I did love that. I, I think that, that, that the writing was really nice throughout this piece. And Thank I, you. I, I love that, you know, they may not move quickly enough to trigger motion activated cameras. I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I, I was chuckling as I was reading through it. So congrats, kudos on, on a job well done and uh, on bringing a smile as I was going through it. I, you know, so can you talk a little bit about some of the endpoints? So you've you you kind of told us the you know the eighty this eighty four percent was kind of this this value that you kind of narrowed in on as the target for success. Can, mm-hmm. You know, can can you do the big reveal now, Connor? You know, okay. how, how <laughs> and then we can as part of that reveal we can maybe dig in a little bit on on how you came to it. Of course, yeah. So, so yeah. The question that I always get when I'm when I'm telling the story about Pietro is, well, how did he do? What? It, of course, was he is he good? Um, and what I tell people is, yeah, he was actually pretty good. So we landed on an accuracy of about seventy uh, percent, um, which again is better than a, a coin flip. And essentially, what we do is we kind of just established uh, a confidence interval around our. Um, accuracy measurement that we had um, come up with. And I think the average that we got was like 84%. And so he was just under that kind of upper limit for our confidence interval that we made for our accuracy prediction. And so so what I say is that he was not statistically significant from, from our uh, kind of accuracy baseline that we had set up from the beginning. And then the nice thing about kind of a setup like this, right, is we have accuracy, uh, but we can set up a very nice two by two table and look at things like sensitivity and specificity. And um, so that was kind of a, an obvious next step for us to to actually start to unpack a little bit more about what our answers mean. I mean, I think with accuracy, it's it's sort of like a big picture, like, OK, overall, like how good is was he at predicting when it would rain? How good is, is he predicting, at, you know, what it would rain? But when you can actually kind of take that two by two matrix or the confusion matrix, you get a little bit more information. And so I think that's where it got interesting, where we could actually look at the sensitivity and the specificity. And so essentially, we determined that his sensitivity was equal to exactly one. So essentially what that means is that there were no days in which he predicted no rain and it rained anyway. And so I think that what we were kind of able to figure out is like you can kind of use Pietro as a barometer for how you're predicting your your barbecue or how how to decide whether or not you want to cancel your barbecue because he's very good at predicting the rain if he's kind of out and about in his cage you can say with some confidence at least 100% of the time for our data it probably won't rain for your barbecue which is awesome but what we found out was sort of on the opposite side oftentimes he would be under his red ball and it didn't rain right so that would be essentially a prediction in which you might want to cancel your barbecue because you think it might rain, but it would have been perfectly fine. So it, it kind of goes back to that um, kind of sensitivity and specificity trade-off question. I love the title of your article, Pietro, the Weather Tortoise and the Pursuit of Soggy Bun Prevention. It's really cute and, and sort of, ca- you know, attention capturing. And then you have as the last line where you're talking about how, you know, the phrase sun's out, guns out doesn't really appeal to you. And then you write... When Pietro says, hi, your buns will be dry, which was just a delightful little turn of phrase to end. I'm a journalism professor, and so 
My husband mocks me mercilessly because once upon a time I was writing about a food bank in West Virginia. And this is, I feel ashamed saying this, but the lead for my story was like old mother Hubbard, West Virginia's cupboards are bare because I couldn't figure out a lead. And I was like, just wrote it and just threw it away. And the assistant news director left it in the news story. And so it's what my husband makes fun of me for constantly. Um, so I I appreciate like little, you know, cute turns of phrase. And I wonder, how did you approach the writing of this, right? So you're writing about this weather tortoise. You talk about the stats that went into it. And I thought the discussion of how you figured out accuracy was really useful. And I could imagine this being a really useful article in a, in a stats class or even, you know, a data journalism class where you talk through like, how do we understand accuracy when we're doing our work? And so I wonder how you approached the sort of tone and the flavor you were going to give this as you were writing it up. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the title took a, f- a few days for me to kind of figure it out. And I, and I think that um, something that I at least try to approach writing with is to not take it too seriously. One of the things that, especially with, and I call it the confusion matrix, right? Like a lot of statisticians will know what I'm talking about. That sort of two by two table, thinking about concepts of like true negatives, type one error rate, or never intuitive to me. And And I think that approaching it in a way that's sort of fun, hopefully will help kind of people interact with it. And I even to today, I think about, okay, well, it's true negative. What was Pietro doing? Just because for me, it helps me contextualize those things. And so we've actually started incorporating that article into some curriculum at our school, which is really cool. But yeah, I mean, as far as to, to kind of answer your question, I think that for me, the guiding principle was to not take it too seriously. I, I, I felt like with the pandemic, things felt really heavy. And, and understandably so. And I knew that for the for the um, essay contest, a lot of people would want to talk about COVID because it was you know such a salient part of our day-to-day lives. But for me, I think that the way I would describe it is I take what I do very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. And, and that was kind of the sentiment that I wanted to use for the article. So I think sort of the, the way that it developed, at least for the title, was... So I don't know if either you're familiar with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, the Coen Brothers movie. So in that movie, there's uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys, the name of the band that they're in. And actually, my best friend and I won our high school uh, talent competition singing that song. And so that name has always been in the sort of back of my mind. And and so it was a sort of kind of iterative approach, right? Like I knew that if I wanted to do well in this competition, I needed to have like an eye-catching kind of title, right? I, I wanted to have something that was felt sort of novel, sort of interesting. And so I think I probably, I got to Soggy Buns first. And then from there, I was like, okay, well, how do I want to think about like something like preventing? I was trying to figure out like the best like verbs to use. And I wanted somewhat of an alliteration between, I, I ended up with pursuit and prevention. And my wife and I, we went out to breakfast and I was just like, I was probably not a very good partner because I was just like, all I could think about was just like, okay, like, how do I want to phrase this? And we ended up talking. I remember the second I came up with the title, we were in the car, we were leaving the restaurant. Um, and I was like, this is it. This is going to be good. So yeah, I think that as I was writing it, I wanted that kind of lighthearted um, feel to it just because the absurdity of writing an essay about a weather predicting tortoise is is absurd. And so I wanted to kind of lean into that a little bit. 
as far as the last line, I don't re- I don't really remember how I came up with it. I just I you know, it's sort of as statisticians, we sort of step through a problem. We we start by, okay, well, what is our problem? And then we think about what a reasonable approach might be uh, to answering that problem, and then you get your solution, and then and then you're like, okay, well, how do I translate this into something interesting? And so when I figured out, like, okay, well, the the storyline here is yes, he's somewhat accurate, but the bigger storyline is he's very, very good at predicting, you know, when it's actually like when you should be okay with your barbecue, when you'd be likely okay to have your barbecue because he's out and about in his cage. And so I just I sort of like really kind of meditated on that for a while and it just it just struck me so so yeah i think that allowing at least for this context right like i, I you know I'm, I'm writing a few manuscripts now i don't exactly approach it in the same way but it was fu- it was fun to kind of just be silly and and acknowledge the absurdity of, of it all you know I, I i really like the the use of this and explaining these ideas that are essentially conditional probability and what are you conditioning on and all of these concepts that that many struggle with i mean and and i i find that that i could that this is the kind of piece that i'll recommend to some of our intro classes to consider when they're talking about you know this conditional probability stuff and so i i I congratulate you on that i i think that's really a neat neat resource the the other thing that you said that 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 i think is a, a a lesson that's a good takeaway is that we think a lot about crafting analyses and describing what we do with care and to engage. But I think that the, the complement to that is also crafting the way we write about what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that there is this, there is this, this, this incredibly important accompaniment to the analyses that are done. And if you do things, just, just the, this nice kind of struggle and focus on trying to crafting the words, that, that really can, can win the day. I mean, and, mm-hmm. but not just not just awards and significance for for this kind of writing, but but also just in terms of engaging readers and even a more complicated story that a research paper might involve. So I, I'm just curious, have you seen this type of process that you've gone through start to influence your your writing now and some of the ways that you 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 do some of your sci- your other scientific work? I I think that now I have a much greater appreciation for the big picture. I think that now thinking about and and I've always I've always been really passionate about <clears throat> teaching statistics and making science accessible in particular. And so I think that's always been a common through line for me, but really a lot of what this has taught me is just really about being confident about what I have to share with people. And I think that it also is an important illustration of you shouldn't be afraid to take a risk, right? And I, and I think that perhaps making an effort to flip something upside down or to think about it in an abstract way is, is perhaps maybe worth spending a little bit more time on. So what this has taught me is, is one, um, thinking about the bigger picture is very important, but also being willing to kind of step back and, and approach problems in sort of an abstract way, I, I think has been an important lesson. I'm actually working on another essay for significance now, because now I've got the writing bug. So maybe that's that's been pretty influenced <laughs> as well. Well, I, I have to tell you, you know, I, you certainly see disclosure statements in all sorts of things you read. But this may well be the first time that I've I've seen that um, that you know a turtle a tortoise pardon me pardon me a tortoise sorry Pietro have a dis, you know disclose discloses that there's no competing interest but I think that the request 
to kind of solicit other funding, say from the the kale lovers of America. I thought that was that was kind of almost crossing a line. So I'm just I, I just didn't know about that that just commercialism that that Pietro was was engaged in. You know, I, I'm just not that sure is, about that. That is fair. You know, I've from from Lisa, the the uh, coworker who owns Pietro. It sounds like this has really gone to his head. So um, it's it sounds like the because you know he has an Instagram page, and you know it sounds like you know she's saying he's he's demanding only the best vegetable. This, so that's actually how I came up with the comment about uh, you know Pietro would love to be a part of the kale lovers of America because. She was like, well, now Pietro is demanding this, um, you know, the best kale that I have and all this stuff. He's being really picky. So that was sort of how that ended up there. But yeah, it's it's funny how, um, you know, with uh, this, the disclosure statement, I, I was thinking, of, well, OK, well, I don't really have necessarily anything to, to add here. So I might as well, you know, add something sort of one last, last <laughs> piece to it. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Connor, it's been a real joy talking to you today about Pietro. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Connor. Of course. Thank you. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. Or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.